Merry Christmas, everybody. It's a good Christmas morning to celebrate on the Lord's Day. And uh, just want to give a warm welcome to all our guests. I see a lot of guests out there and uh, grateful for those who invited you. As we shared on Friday night, whoever invited you loves you and cares about you. That's why they invited you, because they know that you're going to hear the good news today. So we're super excited, super grateful that you taking this morning to be with us. And you notice through our lyrics and as Pastor Jeremy prayed that um, this is a joint service where we have our Spanish-speaking ministry members with us. And Pastor Hugo, super grateful for your leadership, brother, and uh, grateful for what the Lord is doing. And uh, that let's just give the Lord a hand for what he's doing. And those of you who are part of the Spanish language ministry, just know that you are an answered prayer. There have been people in our church been praying for many years and, and, and asking God to bring this about. And um, so grateful, so grateful. So we're grateful for what the Lord is doing. And um, also just wanted to let us know that we're here to celebrate Jesus Christ. He came... He died, he rose, he ascended back to heaven, and he's coming back. And this is why we celebrate Christmas. This is why we come together every week on the Lord's Day. And uh, as we just heard sung gloriously, Gloria in excelsis Deo, glory to God in the highest, glory to God in the highest. And this brings us to our sermon today, glory to God in the highest. The darkness of the first Christmas was suddenly interrupted as heaven erupted in worship. All of heaven was worshiping that first Christmas night. As a multitude of heavenly beings, angels, countless angels, burst into praise with everything their angelic beings had and they were praising God out of Luke 2.14. It says they were proclaiming glory to God in the highest. Glory to God from heaven. You cannot go any higher than heaven. That is the highest. So all of heaven was praising God for what they were watching here on this earth. And this is an unprecedented event in Scripture. Or a tsunami of angelic praise is starting to spill over into our planet into our time and space. A, a surge of worshipful energies is being emitted out of heaven. And these lowly shepherds at night are able to see this and hear this. This was a different event. And so, as we preach on Christmas this morning, as I prayed through this, and in terms, my mind and heart was drawn into what caused this eruption in heaven. And certainly, we need to understand Christmas from the worm's eye view, so to speak, from the earth, our earthly view of Christ, the newborn King who's come. But I believe that we need to see. Christmas from the bird's eye view or the angelic view or the view from heaven to fully understand the beauty and the glory of Christmas. So we're going to ask one question. We're going to answer one question this morning. 
We want to keep it simple. We want to, we want to make sure we understand one question. What ignited heaven's worship? What caused this eruption to take place in heaven? This is what we're going to try to unpack today. And we have one Bible verse today. And we had a 1 Timothy 1.15. So if you have Bibles, please turn with me to 1 Timothy 1.15. I believe this will raise your affections and love for God. I believe you will see God in a more glorious fashion as we see Christmas through heaven's eyes. And 1 Timothy 1.15 is Paul's most concise Christmas statement. This sums up what Christianity is all about in this one Bible verse that Paul writes. So if you're able to, please rise with me as we read 1 Timothy 1.15 together. 1 Timothy 115. The reason why we rise, we want to honor God in His Word. And if you're able to, if you cannot, we understand, but we just do this to remind ourselves what a treasure we have in our hands. So 1 Timothy 115. Paul writes, It is a trustworthy saying and deserving full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners to save sinners, among whom I am foremost. Please pray with me. Father in heaven, thank you for this word. Thank you for this clear statement of why you came to earth to save sinners. Father, will you show us more of your glory? Show us how glorious you are. Open our hearts to understand more of your glory. So thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Please have a seat. Amen. So what ignited heaven's worship? And really, 1 Timothy 1.15 is going to be our outline. It's going to be super simple. 1 Timothy 1.15 is going to guide our message. What ignited heaven's worship? First of all, the person, Christ Jesus. The person, Christ Jesus. See, the most trustworthy saying begins with a person, and his name is Christ Jesus. The existence of Jesus Christ is an undisputed historical fact. I mean, when he came to earth the first time, it split our human history in two. It split our calendar into B.C. before Christ and A.D. And it's been 2,000 years since Christ began his ministry, and the impact upon this world has been evident, even 2,000 years later. It is so obvious We've never been the same. Human history has never been the same since Christ came for the first time. We have major holidays like Christmas and Easter. This is why we're celebrating this morning the birth of Christ. Easter celebrates the resurrection of Christ. We have the the major religion in the world called Christianity, where Christ, God himself, came to the world to save sinners like you and me. Our morals and our ethics have been shaped by the teachings of Jesus Christ. Whether you're a Christian or not, you respect the teachings of Jesus Christ. The modern day university systems has been set up in the name of Christ originally to teach and train men to preach the word of Christ. This is why their university systems were set up originally. 
compassion and humanitarian efforts have been launched in the name of Jesus Christ. Cathedrals and masterpieces of works of art have been built and put together in the name of Jesus Christ. So this is an undisputed, undeniable fact that Christ came to the world 2,000 years later. But his appearance is not what's the question. That's not in debate. The question is, who is Christ Jesus? As the angels worship from heaven and lit up the nighttime sky for the shepherds to take pause and to be amazed at what they're seeing and hearing, what ignited this is the person of Christ Jesus. Christ simply means the anointed one, the Messiah, God's appointed deliverer. What does Jesus mean? This is his earthly name. At the time, it was a very common name, Jesus. Jesus simply means Yahweh saves or God saves. God is our salvation. That's what his name means. But from heaven's perspective, the angels knew exactly who Christ Jesus is and was in that time. As Luke 2.11 says, For today, this is the angel proclaiming, For today in the city of David, that's Bethlehem, there has been born for you a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Christ the Lord. See, the angels were celebrating because they knew Christ as their Lord, the Lord. They knew him as God. They saw their God, the creator of the universe, come down out of heaven and into the manger. They were celebrating. The angels knew what Paul would write someday out of Colossians 1.15, that Christ Jesus is the image of the invisible God. They were celebrating, worshiping the, that the invisible spirit God had made himself known to man. They also knew, the angels knew that the author, what the author of Hebrews would write in Hebrews 1.3, Christ Jesus is the radiance of God's glory. What does that mean? That means Christ Jesus is the brightness of God's glory. He is like the light is to the sun. We know the sun exists, but we see the light of the sun. He is the radiance of God's glory. Christ Jesus is the exact representation of his nature. That means Christ Jesus has the same essence as God, same ability as God, same desires as God. Jesus Christ is God. Jesus himself would say in John 14, 9, his own words, he would say this, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. It was very clear who the, who the angels believe that Christ Jesus, Jesus Christ is God. They knew him as a creator of all things. Jesus is God. Jesus is God. Guests, grateful that you're here. And this is one of the reasons why you're invited, because your friend or family member who loves you wanting you to hear that Jesus Christ is God. You see, the good news that the angels proclaim, I bring you good news of great joy. The good news begins with a person. His name is Christ Jesus, God himself. Jesus Christ is not a created being. He's not less than God. He is God himself. Some people get it really wrong when by saying that Christ is a created 
God. He's not a created God. He is the creator of all things. He is more than an ethical guide. He is more than a way to live rightly. He's beyond all that. He is that. He is a standard, but he's much more than that. He's more than a social remedy to fix our social ills. He didn't come to salvage this planet. He did not come to do that. He's more than a life coach or he gives us a pep talk and makes us feel better about ourselves. Jesus Christ is not your co-pilot or my co-pilot where he gives us helpful suggestions on how to live and where to go. He's more, more than that. Christ Jesus did not come to fulfill your dreams and my dreams. He came to establish his church. As he said, upon this rock, I will build my church. So let's be clear about who Christ Jesus is. Even as a believer, let's be more clear. Let's understand who he is rightly. See, to worship God like the angels, we need to know that we are dealing with God himself. Otherwise, if you don't understand this, if you don't believe this, your worship will be much lower, appropriate for lower things. But the more we raise our eyes into heaven and see who Christ is, that he is God, the creator of the universe, the greater the worship we'll have in our hearts. The more we'll say glory to God in the highest in how we think, how we speak, and how we live, just like the angels. Let's go to the second point here. What ignited heaven's worship? Number one, it was the, po- the person of Christ Jesus. Number two, it's the posture of Christ Jesus who came into the world. Christ Jesus, humble posture. Humble posture. See, the in- entire Godhead was involved in sending Christ to save his people. The Father sends the Son. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, his only eternal son, he sent into the world. And to fulfill Isaiah's prophecy that said that the Messiah, or that the Christ will come of a virgin, God the Holy Spirit came and planted the seed into Mary and overshadowed her so that Christ Jesus would be born of a virgin. John 1.14 says this, the Son came into the world, says, and the Word became flesh. The eternal Word, Jesus Christ, became flesh. He put, took on human flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, glory as the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. God the Father sends, God the Spirit overshadows, and God the Son was born in a manger. Colossians 2.9, Paul writes, For in him, in Christ, all the fullness of deity dwells bodily. All of God is contained in this baby boy named Jesus Christ. See, Jesus Christ, God, God the Son, incarnated. And what does that mean, the incarnation? The incarnation is a term that theologians have used to describe what happened when Christ came to earth. This is where the second member of the Trinity, the Godhead, God the Father, God the Son is a second member of the Trinity, and God the Spirit 
all work to come to earth, but God, the second member of the Trinity came to this world, and he took on flesh, human flesh. He added on human flesh. He did not lose any of his godness, but he took on added human flesh. He was truly fully God and fully man, the God-man. He never ceased to be God, yet God... The God-man was the one who experienced the joys and trials and sorrows of living in this world. The Bible says that he was tempted in every way, yet without sin. He walked amongst us and he understands you and me. He understands our joys that we're going through right now. He also understands our sorrows. So what ignited this eruption, this volcanic reaction in heaven? What ignited this? Well, from heaven's perspective, the angelic choir knew this. What 2 Corinthians 8, 9 says, that being rich, yet for your sake, he became poor. He became poor. And we need to understand how rich was Christ Jesus? And how poor did Christ Jesus become? How rich? Well, the angels were in heaven, as Isaiah chapter 6 is described. Isaiah is an Old Testament book in the Bible, where this is perhaps, perhaps one of the, the Mount Everest portions of Scripture. Where the angels who were worshiping God that first Christmas night were there in the presence of Christ where John the Apostle identifies Jesus Christ as the one sitting on the throne. They saw Christ seated on the throne as the sovereign king of the universe, who is ruling every event of human history, every event in the universe. He was holding everything together by the power of his word, the Bible says. They saw him sitting on the throne, Christ Jesus. They saw him high and lifted up. There was no one above Christ Jesus. They saw him high and lifted up, and they worshipped him. And he was exalted. And they saw the train of his robe filling the temple, meaning his dominant presence was everywhere. And the angels knew that it was Jesus who sat on the throne from eternity past, and they're worshiping him. All of the angels, all of heaven was worshiping him. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. They were worshiping him so much, with so much intensity, that the foundations of the temple in heaven were shaking. There's some intense worship there. So this is what the angels saw and knew about Christ Jesus. How rich was Christ Jesus? doesn't get any higher than this. does not get any higher than this. Pure glory, pure power, pure authority. The definition of greatness was before their eyes. They knew he was God. Now how poor did he become? The contrast is stark. Jesus Christ came off his throne to be planted in a manger in the middle of nowhere in Bethlehem. A manger, a feeding trough where filthy animals would eat. This is where the Lord was laid by his peasant mother, Mary, 
wrapped in cloths, and laid him in a manger. From the heights of the glory of glory to fallen, corrupt, cold, and dirty earth. Holy heaven to be surrounded by regular, everyday animals. In heaven where he was treated as the Lord and worshipped, now you'll take the form of a slave, a lowly slave who will go to the cross. In other words, the Lord himself, they knew, the angels knew, that he traded in heaven's glory, heaven's worship, for earth's scorn, earth's misery. He left the spiritual realm to be contained in time and space into the physical realm. This is poor. It's all about perspective. I remember my old days when I was coaching, and one of the things I would do is I was up in the press box, kind of getting a bird's eye view of the game, and whenever the the offense was on the field since I coached on defense I'd be working on things and have my head down I, didn't, I really didn't watch the game much and all of a sudden boom there was being an eruption and that eruption like you knew something good about what happened either for the other team or for our team and if it's at home we knew something good something amazing happened and it was a, and especially when there was a eruption that would kind of suck the air out of the entire stadium. An eruption that was so loud and so intense that the stadium would start to shake. Like, whoa, what happened? Later on, you're searching to see the replay. Ah, that's what happened. Something that rarely happens happened. And this is what happened. This is why heaven absolutely just ignited and burst into celebration and worship. They saw, the angelic beings saw something that they've never seen before. They knew God to be great and awesome and holy and humble and loving. Yet God, when he took on human flesh, displayed a level of humility that they've never seen before. An unimaginable moment where he left all of heaven's glory and took on this humble, humble state of his little baby boy. And heaven just exploded. All of heaven exploded. Glory to God and highest, it says. They could not contain themselves. Worship is this, church. Worship is the most natural reaction to greatness. We do it even at a human level when we see an amazing performance. When we see someone who's done much in this world, we like, wow, in some ways we, we feel at times in awe. But just try to think a little bit. I use that pitiful example. Just try to multiply by that by infinity and just try to imagine just a little bit what stirred in the hearts of the angels as they saw their great God, our great God, come to earth, come to this world. You see, the incarnation was the most unimaginable commitment by the Lord. Unimaginable, unthinkable, but yet he did it. And the angels must have been like, wow, is this really happening? Yes, it is. 
Yes, it is. How un- unimaginable? Well, the answer could be maybe a question, answered by another question. What is, he, what is he like in heaven right now? Church, have you thought about what the risen, ascended Lord is like right now in heaven? As he's at the right hand of the Father, praying for us right now. He's praying for us right now. What is he like? Before the incarnation, he was a spirit being. After the incarnation, he took on human flesh. What is he like right now? Well, I believe the Bible makes it very clear. At a revelation, John saw the risen, ascended Lord. He sees one like the Son of Man. His feet were glowing like melted metal, glowing metal. His hair was white like wool, like snow, to talk about his holiness. His eyes were a flame of fire. His face was shining like the sun. I believe that God himself, Jesus Christ himself, is fully man and still fully God. This in, the incarnation was eternal. This is an eternal commitment that he made to save sinners. Right now, he's, his, his glory has been fully restored. His glory is fully restored to what he had before. But he's fully God and fully man. The incarnation was an eternal commitment. An eternal commitment, not just for 33 years. On earth, it's an eternal commitment. He's eternally the God-man. And just as a word of encouragement for, for those of us who've lost loved ones who are believers, you know, as I look out, I see those who've lost husbands and grandparents, fathers, mothers, spouses, Just know this, because they're in Christ, you could be comforted. They're touching the Lord right now. They're seeing the Lord's eyes right now. They could examine his nail-pierced hands, his nail-pierced feet. I mean, his incarnation is an eternal reminder of his humble posture that he is the God of all the King of Kings the Lord of Lords yet we could come to him as his friend isn't that amazing I just think that's just a glorious thing and and the angels agreed they were saying singing proclaiming glory to God in the highest from heaven praise God So to to worship Christ like the angels, we need to see and recognize his humble posture. Christ Jesus, God himself, is the definition of humility. And that's awe-inspiring for all of us. Let's go to our final point here. What ignited heaven's worship? Christ Jesus, his purpose to save sinners. Christ Jesus' purpose to save sinners. To save, what, what are we talking about here? Save, this word out of 1 Timothy 1.15, to save 
means to rescue from imminent danger. Like there is danger coming towards all of mankind and Christ Jesus came to save sinners. I mean, the, the, Luke 2.11 once again says, For today in the city of David there has been born for you a Savior. A Savior of what, you may ask? A Savior of culture? Savior of our government? Savior of our way of life? Savior of our social ills? No, he didn't come for any of those things. He came to save us from himself. He came to save us from God himself. He came to save us from our own fallen, sinful nature. You see, sin is the issue. And then the Bible says right out of 1 Timothy 1.15, He came to save sinners. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Sinners. This is who we are before we were saved. This is the ultimate defining reality in our life. So guess, if you're here as an unforgiven sinner, you have not trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior, your sin is what defines you right now. It isn't your ethnicity, it isn't your family name, it isn't your degrees, it isn't your accomplishments, it isn't your marriage or your children and your lack of marriage or lack of children, it isn't your health, it isn't your bank account, it's the fact that God sees you as a sinner. That is the most defining thing in your life right now. If you have not trusted Christ Jesus as your Lord and Savior, Let me explain. Romans 3 says that none are righteous, not one, meaning every single human being has rebelled against God. We've thought an unkind thought. We've been impatient with one another. Or even worse, A to Z, it's all there. We're all sinners and none are righteous. Righteous meaning God does not see anyone who's fit to be with him. In Psalm 51.4, it says this, that we've, not only have we sinned against each other, but we're actually primarily sinning and rebelling against God himself. That's the issue. We're at odds with God because we've rebelled against him. We rebelled against the standard. We rebelled against his ways. And Romans 6.23 says this, this is the imminent danger. The wages of sin is death. Second Thessalonians 1 9 says that it's an eternal separation. What does a spiritual death look like? Not only are we dying physically, it's a spiritual death. We're, we're eternally separated from God Himself. That's hell. Anything good in your life, particularly any presence of God in your life, you'll be separated from from eternity for eternity. That is the wage of sin. This is what you earn by being a sinner. So that's the issue, if we're clear. Christ Jesus came to the world to save sinners. But I want to make it clear, Christ Jesus did not come to help you get saved. It's not what it says. It doesn't say Christ Jesus came to the world to help you become saved. It says Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. This was his mission. This was his definitive plan to save sinners. God, through Christ Jesus, has called you and me, Christians, out of darkness into his marvelous light. 
God, through Christ Jesus, transformed us from being enemies of God who had the hostility of God targeted towards us to becoming adopted members of God's family, to be sons and daughters of God. Where we could come to him as a friend now. That's what God did when he sent Christ Jesus into the world to save sinners. God's wrath was transformed to God's grace and favor upon us. Isn't that amazing? And the angels are seeing all of this. And they're worshiping God as they're seeing the redemptive plan unfold before their very eyes. How does he do this? Well, in other words, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners by taking our mountain of guilt. Our mountain of guilt. Because we're sinners and made peace with us through the eternal Son, Christ Jesus. Let me read out of 1 John chapter 4, 9 and 10. 1 John chapter 4, 9 and 10. By this, the love of God was, was manifested in us. That God has sent his only begotten Son into the world. There it is. So that we might live through him. God the Father sent God the Son so that we may have life. And Jesus Christ says, so you may have life abundantly, abundant life. Not just life, but abundant life. In this is love. See, God motiv- God, it was God's love that motivated this rescue plan, this salvation plan. Not that we love God. We didn't even love God before he sent his son. It was all one-sided. God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Propitiation, what is that word? Satisfaction. Christ Jesus satisfied God's perfect understanding of justice. Christ Jesus dying on the cross satisfied God's perfect justice. If you're able to, turn with me as we get close to the finish here of our message to Revelation chapter 5. This is the last book of the Bible. Turn to Revelation chapter 5. What does satisfaction look like? I'm just going to paraphrase some of this and then read some at the end. In Revelation chapter 5, John the Apostle gets a preview of of the future. John the Apostle is taking up into heaven through a vision and there's this magnificent scene, which the angels are there again, of course. And he sees this situation where it causes great distress in the Apostle John. And what is this scene showing us? They're asking, who is worthy to reclaim creation? Who is worthy to reclaim creation? The angels were there. They didn't raise their hands. The Old Testament saints were there. From Moses to Noah to Abraham to David to Elijah. They didn't raise their hands. To other apostles, all the 12 apostles were were dead other than John. John was the last one. Peter, James, John. They didn't raise their hands. Any church-age saints like Luther or Calvin or anyone else, none of them raised their hands. So there was great distress in the heart of John the Apostle. How's this going to happen? 
How is this going to happen? And one of them just said, hey, relax. Relax, look into the middle. Then they saw the lamb that was slain. The lion of Judah, whose lamb that was slain, this is who they saw. See, the lamb that was slain, this is the one that took the form of a man. And the lamb that was slain said this, I am the good shepherd. I laid down my life for the sheep. The lamb that was slain, the God-man, died for man. He died to save sinners. And this lamb that was slain, with seven horns talking about his authority, complete authority, takes the scroll from the Father's hand and says, Mine. The scroll represents the title deed of the entire universe. And he goes, I am going to renew all of creation. I bought the creation by dying on the cross. The lamb that was slain. The lamb that went to the cross to die for sinners. This is how the propitiation was satisfied. God the Father was satisfied to give the title deed of the universe to the Son. Willingly, the Son took it. And all of heaven erupted again. Read with me with John, uh, Revelation chapter 5, verse 9. I'm going to let this, let this eruption show. Perhaps it's a similar type of eruption that happened when Christ came on that first Christmas morning. Revelation 5, 9 says this, And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, because you were slain on the cross. And purchase for God with your blood people from every tribe and every tongue and people and nation. We have Christians all around the world celebrating Christ this Lord's Day. From out of this continent to other continents, different languages, different economic situation, different levels of education, every tribe, every tongue, every nation is praising God in heaven right now in Revelation chapter 5. Isn't that amazing? It's just bursting with, with enthusiasm and worship. Verse 10. And you made them to be a kingdom and priests to our God. And they will reign upon the earth. We're a holy nation, a holy priesthood, the Bible says. And then look what happened. Verse 11. Then I looked. This is John. And I heard the voice of many angels around the throne and the living creatures and the elders and the number of them was myriads of myriads and thousands and thousands, 10,000 by 10,000, countless numbers, millions and trillions of angels are worshiping God right now, saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. Do you see this happening now? Now let's go back to that first Christmas morning. This was an atomic explosion that took place in heaven. It was so great that it started to trickle down into the created universe. Isn't that amazing? Where these, these shepherds who are just minding their own business, taking care of their sheep, look up and go like, what is going on? That is the glory of God in the highest Worship is exploding in heaven in the highest. And after this scene in Revelation, all of heaven is preparing to come down with Christ the Lord. 
See, Advent time, we, re- we celebrate the first coming of Christ. As we get from Revelation 5 to Revelation 19, Christ the Lord is no longer the lamb that was slain. Christ the Lord comes back as the Lion of Judah on his war horse with a sword coming for his people and to render judgment upon unforgiven sinners. So this is like a big pep rally that's taking place to cheer the Lord on, to come and reclaim all of creation. You see how important it is, church, to have kind of like a worm's eye view, kind of, or this is what we see, this is kind of how we relate to God here. But can you see how it's important to have a bird's eye or perhaps even an angelic view of Christ to generate worship in us? We have to get out of this world. We're not home yet. We're not home yet. Our home is in heaven with the Lord and we're going to be worshiping him forever and ever. And you can see why we'd be worshiping him forever and ever. To the angels had the full picture of Christmas. And perhaps the angels wanted to come down from the heavenly view, the bird's eye view, and come down to our level and to see the worm's eye view. Perhaps that's why they came down. And in Luke 2.14, which was sung earlier, which was read earlier by Brother Jeff Lowe, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among men. Do you understand better now, church? What that moment must have been like. Glory to God in the highest, the highest from the heights of heaven and on earth and on the depths of the earth. Glory to God in heaven and on earth. That's what's happening in Revelation 5. And it says, He came to make peace with man. He came to make peace with you. Who, does, who has peace with the Lord? It says, with whom, Luke 2.14 goes on to say, with whom he is pleased. With whom he is pleased. That's the question too. Is he pleased with you right now? As you sit there, church, friends, is he pleased with you right now? And if he were to ask you right now, why should I be pleased with you? What would you offer up? What would you offer up right now? He said, you, why should I be pleased with you? What would you say? Would you say, I'm an honest man? Would you say it's because I'm generous with my time and my money? Would you say it's because I'm not as bad as I used to be? <laughs> right? Is it, what would you say? That I came to church on Christmas Sunday? What would you say? It all hinges on this one question. Whether God is pleased with you or not hinges on this one question here. Is we have to understand this. Is how did you respond to the saying, the trustworthy saying that said that Christ Jesus came to the world to save sinners? That is where it all hinges. It all hinges. 
God is pleased with you. God is not pleased with you. What have you done with that statement that Christ Jesus came to the world to save sinners? As Paul writes, did you see it as a trustworthy saying, fully dependable? Do you believe that this is a trustworthy saying that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners? And because you trust in this saying that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, you believe that this is a deserving of full acceptance. You have accepted this saying. You have committed your life to Christ. You have built your life upon this rock whose name is Christ. You built your life upon him. You live for him. You have trusted him as your Lord and your Savior. No longer do I follow other things. I follow Christ as my Lord. Although not perfectly, but you have genuinely trusted Christ and committed to Christ as your Lord and Savior. Then he's pleased with you. Then he's pleased with you. That's really what it comes down to. Did you obey the command to repent and believe in Christ Jesus as your Lord and Savior? That's the one command. Has the Spirit of God fallen upon you and you have trusted Christ Jesus as your Lord and Savior? But right now I want to encourage you because right now, friend, you may be thinking, I'm too far gone for this. This is just for the normal person. This is, I'm too far gone. Paul gives us more encouragement here out of verse 15. He says, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners among whom I am foremost, among whom I am the chief, I am the worst, I am the chief of sinners, Paul says. Paul used to be a blasphemer. He talked against God. He was a persecutor of the church. He was a violent aggressor, ravaging the church. He would go house to house, arresting men and women who proclaimed Christ, throwing him into prison to be put to death. That, that was Paul. He called himself the foremost of sinners. But guess what? Christ Jesus, who took the deed out of the Father's hand, says this, I came not for the righteous, but sinners. Jesus Christ, who has a deed in his hand, says this, I came not for the healthy, but the sick. If you feel spiritually sick, you're in the right place. Christ Jesus came for you. Christ Jesus said, I came to seek and save the lost. Are you lost today? He came for you. He came for you. And he, what he's looking for is a broken and contrite heart. Is your heart broken? Do you know that you need a Savior today? This Christmas Sunday, do you sit here thinking, man, I had the wrong answer when, if God were to ask me, why should I be pleased with you? Come to him today. The Lord says, give your life to Christ Jesus today. For by grace we are saved as a free gift. Receive the free gift. How do you receive this free gift? Agree with God that you're a sinner. Repent, turn away from your sins, and simply trust in him as your Lord and Savior. Commit to following him as your Lord and Savior. That's how you do it. It's a free gift. Will you come to Christ today? This is the day of salvation for you. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for sending Christ, your son. Thank you for making it very clear who Christ Jesus is. Father, we thank you for sending your spirit to 
plant the seed of your son into the womb of Mary. Father, I pray for the non-believers in this building, Lord, that your spirit will fall upon them and you give them newness in life. You make them new creations who will believe and trust in your son as Lord and Savior. Will you do this this Christmas Sunday? Father, I pray for the believers in here to be more deeply involved with Christ, your son. I pray, I pray that the believers will believe more and understand more of who Christ is. Will you generate more worship in us? Help us to see Christ. Help us to see life from heaven's point of view, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to preach your holy and perfect word. In Jesus' name, amen.